I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Tuesday, December 19th. I'm Michael Guidry in for Desiree Frazier, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, community activists are meeting with the Hines County Election Commissioners to discuss shortfalls during this year's general election. Then, the state economist warns about a slowing of the workforce in Mississippi. Plus, a new scholarship program aims to fill gaps in the state's social work field. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. A coalition of voting rights groups are continuing to push the Hines County Elections Commission for answers on what went wrong during last month's general election. Multiple precincts across the county ran out of ballots on several occasions throughout Election Day, leading to increasingly long lines and reportedly many voters electing to leave before casting their vote. A coalition of 12 community and voting rights groups has been requesting a meeting with the Hines County Election Commissioners ever since. Advocates did attend a meeting last week where the commission heard public comments. But yesterday, the board met with the coalition directly to hear feedback and answer questions. Harya Terrigan is Director of Advocacy and Policy at the Mississippi Center for Justice, one of the 12 groups forming the coalition. She says they requested meetings with commissioners to learn how the system works on a countywide basis. It happening in Jackson, Mississippi, and Hines County, Mississippi, and Mississippi in general is really unfortunate. And I think what you hear from people over and over again is that they want better, they expect better, and... You know, there is a world where Hines County could have been the best place to vote on election day, where our elections were the best in the country, right? Like, that is a very realistic possibility. Uh, That's what people fought for during the civil rights movement. That's what people continue to fight for. And there's no reason to say or to think or to even let, oh, it's Mississippi or, oh, it's Hines County, right? We hear that rhetoric sometimes, but we're pushing back on that. Like, Hines County, Mississippi can have the best elections in the country. Um... And that's why we're all here. That's why we're working together is, you know, our ancestors fought for it. We continue to fight for it. And there will be a day where Mississippi runs the best elections. Hines County runs the best elections. That's possible. There are forces that work against it, but there are forces that are working towards it, too. Terrigan says the commission has expressed a desire to improve for future elections. Election commissioners are asking for more training, better training, um, an onboarding process for new commissioners that is not reliant on old election commissioners, more communication throughout the year, communication around 
maybe smaller details, right? They talked a lot about the systems that they're using and the sheets that they're using, that they're two different sheets, but that there's no guidance on which one to use that leads to situations of human error. But I think election commissioners are asking for more help from the Secretary of State. I think today was a great first step. I think we answered a lot of questions that we had. They answered a lot of questions. We're thankful that they were actually answering a lot of our questions. And, you know, sometimes individuals, especially when they're put on the spot, will say, I don't know, or I'll get back to you. But the commissioners were very transparent uh, in answering a lot of our questions. I think what this marks for us is the beginning of what I think will be a fruitful relationship between us and the election commissioners. And I'm hopeful that 2024 will run incredibly smoothly, smoothly in Hines County. And we'll have the opposite headlines of what we had this year of, you know, one of the best elections or the best election, Hines County. Terrican says the coalition left the meeting with a better understanding, but heading into next year's general election, the imperative to find solutions remains. If you have a group of people committed to solving a, a problem, that we have enough time uh, before November. I also think that it's not going to stop in November 2024, right? Like, we're committed to working well past that. And so... I think the metric of success will be that the next election runs smoother than this one. And then we'll push that metric every time. It doesn't need to be perfect in 2024. It needs to be better. Um, My message to voters is to vote. Figure out, uh, you know, we're there helping you vote, but show up. Um, Don't leave until you've voted. Take people with you to vote. Um, You know, voting is our right, but it's also our privilege. And so show up to the polls. We will be there. We'll be helping. Um, There are people that are working behind the scenes. The coalition works on this 365 days a year. Um, And so come out, vote. We'll be there. And your vote will be counted. And we will try to make sure every vote is counted. And we'll make sure every year until that's true. Hines County District 3 Commissioner Jamal Clark. Clark says the board would vote on including the coalition in all meetings moving forward. Coming up, the state economist warns about a slowing of the workforce in Mississippi. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. What are your holiday traditions? Driving to see relatives? Baking treats? Curling up on the couch near the fireplace? MPB Think Radio can be a part of each of these holiday events. Listen on your car radio or your smart speaker along with on-demand favorites like Deep South Dining and AutoCorrect inside the MPB Public Media app. Start a new tradition today, listening to MPB Think Radio while you celebrate the holidays. Thanks to our sustaining members who provide ongoing monthly financial support. You can become a sustainer too. Go to mpbonline.org and click Donate Now at the top of the page. From children's education to gripping drama, documentaries to comedy, MPB Television brings the world to Mississippi. With local stories, cooking, health, and music, MPB Television takes Mississippi to the world. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Michael Guidry. Mississippi has an aging population that limits how much of the general public is involved in the workforce. Unemployment is down in the state, but many jobs remain unfilled. The national labor market has grown in the last year with 62.7% of the population holding jobs. But Mississippi has the second lowest rate in the nation with just 53.5%. That's according to state economist Corey Miller and the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics. So why is labor force 
low labor force participation a concern. I point to a 2018 Congressional Budget Office study that did a good job of summarizing this. Uh, one, it's associated with lower gross domestic product and lower tax revenue and larger federal outlays because people who are not in the labor force are more likely to enroll in certain government uh, benefit programs. Now, the same report also found that greater labor force participation is associated with higher tax revenues because the number of employed people and therefore the number of people paying income and other pay and payroll taxes tends to rise. And my rough estimate is if Mississippi had had the same labor force participation rate the U.S. had last year, our state's real GDP would have been about 10 percent larger. That translates to about $10.5 billion in terms of uh, real GDP. So just as a reminder of what labor force participation rate is calculated as, it's the sum of the employed and the unemployed in a particular state or the nation divided by the civilian non-institutionalized population. That is just everyone who is age 16 or older, is not in the military or a facility like a hospital or a nursing home or prison. Uh, and there's no upper age limit on that uh, population. It's just 16 and above. So when an individual moves from the ranks of the unemployed to the employed or vice versa, if that population doesn't change, then the labor force participation rate does not change. The labor force participation rate, therefore, can remain unchanged while the unemployment rate goes uh, up or down. So the only way the labor force participation rate changes if the population doesn't change is some number of individuals either stop working or stop looking for work, or you have some number of individuals come in, uh, as we say, off the sidelines uh, to seek employment. Miller attributes the low rate of labor participation to the also low education attainment rates in Mississippi. He says the high rate of people living with disabilities in the state also prevents a large chunk of the population from working. The share of the state's population age 25 and older uh, with at least a high school diploma and the share with 25 and older with at least a bachelor's degree uh, is considerably lower than the U.S. share. Uh, disability in Mississippi substantially affects our labor force participation rate as our rate of disability. Now, this is, you know, people who, who identify or claim to be disabled is considerably higher than the U.S. rate. If we look at data from BLS, race is probably an important factor affecting our labor force participation rates. We know that among the prime working age population, this is nationwide, uh, whites and Asians, for whatever reason, be it discrimination or something else, uh, they have higher labor force participation rates than African Americans and Hispanics. Mississippi's prime working age population of African Americans is about three times that of the U.S. And then finally, our prison population, uh, which by those definitions I gave earlier is not a part of the civilian population, uh, probably still has uh, an effect on our labor force participation rate. In 2020, the rate of incarceration among 100,000 people uh, in Mississippi ranked about sixth among all states, so relatively high. And again, going back to that Congressional Budget Office report I mentioned, they note that employers are less likely to hire someone with a criminal record, and employers are more likely to pay 
lower wages to individuals uh, who do have a criminal record as opposed to uh, their other workers. So these two factors uh, reduce the likelihood that formerly incarcerated individuals will participate in the labor force. Another factor in labor participation is the looming effects of the pandemic. Miller says many people stopped working during that time and not all have returned to the workforce. He says major solutions still need research, but has offered some ideas on how Mississippi could increase labor participation. We'll preface that by saying, like most states, increasing the rate in Mississippi is confounded by an aging population and declining birth rates. Uh, That's pretty much a nationwide type of demographic trend. Um, But the most obvious answer is to address those primary causes I outlined earlier. Those are big, long-standing systemic issues, however, like uh, educational attainment and disability, and those take time to get improvements in. There are other recommended policies that I have cited before, uh, like public-private partnerships to increase the level of job training in the economy. These include consortiums uh, between employers and post-secondary institutions, Uh, If we look at something like Accelerate Mississippi, MS, our current workforce development agency, they're already doing some of those functions with their their district-based offices. Uh, Another potential way to increase participation is removing occupational licensing requirements. Look at the Secretary of State's uh, Tackle the Tate program that has been an effort to address that that type of issue. And there there are several others that uh, we could mention uh, more than I get into today. So in closing, while labor, low labor force participation is a longstanding issue in Mississippi to, today, I wanted to focus on attention on the recent downward trend in the rate. Frankly, in my opinion, the rate of 53.9% is startlingly low um, given our current economic conditions. And I'm admittedly hypothesizing, but recent data seem to indicate that a lack of population growth in Mississippi is keeping that rate from increasing or or pushing it down. If that's true, then focusing on the lack of population growth in Mississippi is uh, even more paramount than it's been in recent years, I think, because we're starting to see immediate negative economic consequences from it. Corey Miller is the state economist for Mississippi. Coming up, a new scholarship program aims to fill gaps in the state's social work field. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. MPB Think Radio, whatever your taste, news, music, storytelling, or how-to shows. Whatever your city, Natchez, Jackson, Tupelo, Cleveland. However you want, radio, smart speaker, smartphone app. MPB Think Radio. Connect with the people looking to connect with you. Become an underwriter with Mississippi Public Broadcasting. For more information, go to mpbonline.org slash more slash underwriting. What are your holiday traditions? Driving to see relatives? Baking treats? Cuddling up on the couch near the fireplace? MPB Think Radio can be a part of each of these holiday events. Listen on your car radio or your smart speaker, along with on-demand favorites like Deep South Dining and AutoCorrect inside the MPB Public Media app. Start a new tradition today, listening to MPB Think Radio while you celebrate the holidays. is a busy season for you, I suggest you multitask. While you're driving to grandma's, listen to MPB on the radio. While wrapping presents, 
have MPB local shows playing on the MPB Think Radio YouTube channel. Thank you for listening to MPB Think Radio, however you listen. Happy Holidays from Mississippi Public Broadcasting. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Michael Guidry. The state's Department of Child Protective Services, also known as CPS, has a network of social workers throughout the state to protect children and help families. But the workforce is small, according to the agency's leadership, as many social workers leave the job due to low wages or better career opportunities out of state. A new grant program is seeking to help fill gaps in the system by incentivizing students to stay and work in Mississippi for at least a year after graduation with a degree in social work. Jerome Colbo is director of the School of Social Work at the University of Southern Mississippi and is the principal investigator for the Academics Pathways program. He says the program is available across the eight colleges and universities in Mississippi that offer social work degrees and can also be used to help existing social workers train for the never change, ever-changing needs of the job. Commissioner Sanders pulled the eight schools of social work together, discussed Title 40 and the use of Title 40 funds, and the idea of creating what she refers to as the MAP, Mississippi Academic Pathways. And the purpose of us working collaboratively or in partnership as schools of social work was to look at ways that we could improve, perhaps elevate and standardize education and training for current or prospective CPS employees. Uh, What's really unique about this is that it can bring to the forefront or it can really help uh, in the recruiting and the retaining of employees for the state agency with these federal funds. So what uh, can the, what exactly uh, kind of education opportunities are being provided to employees yeah. to yeah. – and how does this funding help in that process? So far, already just this year, we've had 40 students in these eight institutions who are receiving scholarships – and those scholarships are essentially, at this point, tuition waivers. And in return for getting part of their BSW or their MSW, that's baccalaureate in social work or master in social work, by getting these scholarships, uh, the students are able to go through school or, or actually continue with school or complete uh, their degrees. In return, they have to work for the state for a year. So students are able to get some financial assistance right now. The state gets some of our very best and brightest um, students who are getting scholarships who are now going to work across the state. Um, The nice thing with all eight publicly funded institutions is that there are now students receiving scholarships in all corners of the state, and that's really advantageous for the state. This truly is an innovative workforce development initiative. By doing these academic pathways, more local uh, residents, people who are thinking about going to school, who've been wanting to work in this field, now can get their education, who can now then go on and work for the state. It's It's a great recruiting tool for universities. 
it's absolutely a great recruiting tool for the universities to say that we have these funds to provide scholarships. But it's also a great win for uh, the state because the way that this works is we as the schools of social work really have to step up and provide better education. We have to provide better training for these, again, current or prospective employees. And in doing so, those who are providing direct services to some of the most vulnerable and disadvantaged children and families in our state are going to be receiving better services. In my conversations with Commissioner Sanders in the past, there are so, seem to be significant gaps in the workers who are doing the day-to-day uh, help with uh, child protective services, checking in on families, uh, doing the visits that they need to, and filing the reports they need. Do you think that this program is going to help plug some of the holes where the nearest uh, social worker might be more than an hour away? I cannot speak to specific challenges within the state agency because that's just not my lane. But what I can say is that there will be more qualified graduates from social work programs across the state who will be prepared to start day one in CPS. I believe there'll be more local folks who will get their education and stay here in Mississippi to focus on the problems and the challenges that we have and the families that and children that we serve have in this state. Are y'all basing this program off anything else that y'all have seen, or is this something y'all came up with? About two years ago, I met with Commissioner Sanders, and in our conversation, I had agreed that I would conduct a nationwide study. In that survey of state agencies and schools of social work that were available in all 50 states, we were able to generate some of the very best practices that are in place across the nation. So bringing those back to Commissioner Sanders and her leadership team, there were certain principles, uh, there were certain priorities, and certainly there's some specific performance-based standards that have been established elsewhere that have shown evidence of uh, being most effective uh, with the population that we serve in this state on research uh, over the last two years. As y'all are researching, did you see any results from those other states, and do you think that'll be reflected here in Mississippi? As with any research, there are going to be a variety of findings. Uh, There are certain clear findings in terms of recruiting and retaining employees to this type of program, that there are improvements in the quality of services that are provided. In doing so, the belief is that that's what this state needs, is more local people staying here, getting their education, and going back to their community and uh, providing the services here. Having the scholarships really creates an incentive for um, more to apply and to be more competitive of who gets the scholarships and then who ends up working for the state. And it does fill those holes because there are a lot of openings right now. And one of the best things about social work is whether they have an undergrad or a graduate degree, they can start to work on day one in this state. Now, we've talked about the benefits for the social workers themselves, but what about the people that they serve? Do you think having this extra training and getting more people out there will be able to help make sure that children in Mississippi and families in Mississippi get more focused care? Yes. Um, With social work being uh, a program that requires um, 
they all have to be accredited programs. And so the education that the students are receiving all must meet certain standards. And that provides greater assurances that the services that are provided are going to be based on certain demonstrated competencies by all those who are coming in through the schools of social work in this state. Those who might be employed uh, or have gone to school somewhere else and didn't go through one of ours, then the, the other focus of this is it's not just education, but it's focus on uh, improving uh, training to workers across the state. This is just the beginning of a long-term initiative in terms of, I think, uh, increasing the workforce, improving the workforce, uh, providing services that are based on best practices. What do you think are the next steps going from here? The next phase is going to be really helping uh, the state uh, and their focus on improving training uh, for new and current workers, for those who have moved up and are in more administrative and leadership roles. I think that's where we're going to be going over the next couple of years is just continuing to roll out better education and better training. Durham Colbo is director of the School of Social Work at the University of Southern Mississippi and is the principal investigator for the Academics Pathways program. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.